Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. My name is Jens Heitland and welcome to the show. Today's guest is the connector of the digital world and the innovation world. She was the former chief digital officer of IKEA Retail. She was leading the digital transformation of the famous shoes brand Clarks. And now she's the founder and CEO of Dividal AB. Please welcome to the show, Mercedes Vidal Lobato. Welcome to the show. Hello, Mercedes. Hello, Jens. How are you doing? Very well, sir. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, great to have you in the podcast. I'm really looking forward to it. So before we start with all the innovation topics, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you so that the listeners get to know you as well? Oh, well, good question. I'm original Spanish. Uh, moved to Sweden 26 years ago, which means I don't know where I am anymore. So <laughs> half this, half that, and they cannot be more far away from a cultural point of view. It brings me a little bit who I am. I'm a little bit of this uh, plural kind of person. Not only one thing, I'm many things. I'm passionate. I love flamenco. I like golf and walks in the nature and the Swedish people. A little bit of a gene and a jam in me. I started very young love technology my favorite toy believe it or not was a calculator of the size of a brick and i have an eight segment display i think i was three years old and i was fascinated but that <laughs> you press the button and get something on the screen so you can imagine what happens later so technology has been spinning around my life my entire life and so i have many different roles in many different companies always touching technology so I've been very close in the borders of IT and technology and business and commercial. Mm. Fascinated about customers and customer experience. I have a really big passion to everything that has to do with serving the customers, understanding the customers and so on. Dedicated several years to work with that. And innovation, which is the most rewarding and fun thing on earth to do. And I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. My best time is when I'm around innovators, innovating something, creating new things, working with people with different minds, different uh, skill sets, different experience, and then magic happens. It's a super rewarding experience to work with innovation. And now I live back in Sweden. I have a little bit of uh, escape to UK and live the life of British proper you know, English mode, and I love it. I have a wonderful time in UK. Lived in Bath, a beautiful city. Highly recommend it. And now, because of COVID and many other things, I'm back in Sweden. A little bit of me. So 
how do you see, I mean, you basically lived in two cultures or two extreme different cultures, Sweden and Spain, at least for me, it's quite different. How do you see that from an innovation perspective? Is innovation in these two cultures different as well? I believe so. I believe because the culture and the way of approaching things are very different. I mean, I come from a culture where people are, let me use the expression, even maybe it's socially not good to say that, but a matador, you know, bullfighting. We go into Verena and then we face the, the bull and then we take and then improvise and so on and so forth. So Spanish people are very courage, they have a lot of courage. And they take things um, with a very open and spontaneous kind of culture. Mm. And Swedish people are more rational and structured. And they don't jump into the arena and fade the bull. They don't do that. <laughs> so it's like two different kind of way of approaching problems, approaching life, approaching challenge, and, and live the life. What makes that innovation has been quite different. It started different in Greece uh, than in Sweden. And then you can say Sweden has been a country of innovators. A lot of big invention comes from this, this country. And so does from Spain too. So both of them have managed in the different approaches to life to be, in my point of view, big innovators uh, in the world. And you look in the north of Spain, um, you know, mobile technologies, um, a lot of startups and companies blooming up in that area in Spain. And here in Sweden, at least in the area where I am, entrepreneurship spirit is very, very, very high. So a lot of startups and accelerators and incubators. So somehow, even if they come from fire and passion, you know, to calmness, structure and thinking, they manage. Before we go further into innovation, I would love to dig more into the calculator story. Okay. So. You have been on the top of the digital development over the last years and really drove these agendas in different companies. So going back to what did you learn from the early calculator perspective and innovation connection towards that to grow into a digital expert around the world? Let me tell you a very interesting anecdote. When I was around 10, 11 years old, I started to earn money by, you're not going to believe this, helping neighbors to change the time on the digital watches. Do you remember the Casios, the first yeah. one that came with a very small digital screen? Nobody understood how to put back the hour or put yeah. forward the hour when the time changed. So I have a lot of neighbors who went around with these digital watches and it must be like 11, 12, something like that. They didn't know how to manage. So one of the things I learned very early as, as a kid was the power of easy usability in that time, it was not easy to understand because it was just like one button to press and have you come to the menu. And how important it is to understand what is going to happen when the customers are using a product. What do you need to think about? How do you deliver a value? Not just a feature, a complete value, how people can live with the product longer lives. So from that to my early days uh, developing, you know, applications, I'm always, always, always talking to the customers and understanding the tasks that needs to be done. From that time, there was just one role. You were the developer, the business analyst, you were the UX expert, you were the DevOps, you were everything. I was peeling cables at the same time doing programming to the world where we are today, where everything is more compartmentalized and sophisticated. There is roles for everything, there is tools, there is a lot of help to create good services and good products. 
But when you go back to the beginning, everything starts with someone has a product, the YouTube product needs to use it, mm-hmm. and they don't know how and how important it is to develop and design products that are useful and they're easy to live with. So I think that was my first encounters. And I, as I say, I was just a kid uh, to understand technology in the hands of people and how important it is to be customer-centric in everything you do. Uh, Does it make sense? Yes. Was that part of like your development on the whole time or did you go out of technology and not focusing in, on it at all in between? No, I think I think I feel lost when there is not a piece of technology or something to use. <laughs> no, I have always been, in one way or another, close to technology, even working from the business side, because all my last role since 2008 has been on the business side, not on the IT side, mm. but always uh, with uh, using technology, development, methodologies like design thinking, everything that has to do with digital, the digital world to apply to create business value and commercial growth. So that's always been my focus. Just the world has shifted from you only do that when you're sitting in an IT department. Now you can do that when you sit in any department. Technology is around us. We live in a digital world, so it's not that much that belongs just to the kids working on the IT. Now it belongs to everybody. So it has been a journey. The other thing that took me very early into programming was um, back again as a kid. My father that was in love with technology and has been my inspiration since I was a kid. He used to buy the first piece of technology that came into the market. The calculator is one example. In other words, the personal computer, first mm-hmm. one that comes into the market. So I got one and I started to programming in basic. But that time, memory came in form of 1K. It was the size of a brick that you need to put on the back. Okay, what is that? You know, it's like amazing. That was the beginnings of, of my journey of creating value and capabilities using a piece of technology. Always been there, spinning around one way or another. Yeah, that's cool. So for those who don't know what the difference is between digital and IT, could you give a little bit of explanation what you, from your perspective, the difference is of IT and digital? Well, it's a very good question, and I think still the world is a little bit confused about that with all these roles. Is a CIO reporting to a CTO who is reporting to a CDO who is the other way around? You know, it's like this whole hierarchy has gone like uh, an ameba up and down. For me, there is two pockets when you look into classic IT and digitalization. The classic, we can call it classic IT, is uh, taking care of managing capabilities to support processes and people on doing their job. It's very often based on systems and applications and managing information to the left and to the right. That's the classic IT. So you manage information through systems and making sure you're supporting business processes. When digital comes into place is when you need to use technology, not just a system of a software or information, technology to serve a business purpose, to serve a human purpose. So mm. you embed a piece of technology in a business model, or you embed a piece of technology in a product, you embed it in a service. You're using technology to create and enhance value. that goes beyond a piece of software and beyond a piece of information. It's much more wider. It's the use of technology to serve people to create better value. So we put digital on top, 
and then hide is one string handling processes, information, and software application systems. Yeah, it's good to clarify that because I struggled myself in understanding that, and I guess it's for a lot of listeners as well. Before maybe we dive, they maybe they don't agree, but it's okay. <laughs> but that's fine. My view. That's the good when you have your own podcast. Even if the other people don't agree, then yeah, that's just how it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so looking a bit more into innovation now. So how do you see innovation? What is innovation for you? Very good question. For me, innovation is the platform that helps us to go beyond the obvious to create new things, new value, new ideas, new strategies. So innovation helps you to structure a process of creation of something new. That's one of the things that I love most of everything around innovation is giving you the capability to move beyond where you are today to, mm-hmm. to help you in a transition. And then you can create something with the help of innovation that could be an incremental value, a little bit better, but you create something magic, something transformational, something disruptive. The method is the same. Yes, the high of the reach and the outcome of your application of innovation can give different results from small incremental better things to really transforming the life of people or the life of business or, or even meaning in products and companies. And so solving big, 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 big problems. Yeah. You have been working with innovation and digital topics in tremendous large organization and now as well in smaller organization and helping clients in doing that. What do you see the difference between like innovation in a large corporation and innovation in smaller organizations? Well, there are many differences, but if I would pick up a couple of them, in big and large organizations, you very, very quickly encounter one, you can say, challenge. And the challenge is how can you innovate new at the same time as protecting the here and now. Because if the company sits, it's because there is an engine of producing something. So there is a process of machine running a value creation. And that's the existence of the company. It's the one that is paying the salary of everybody and giving the means to exist. Within that environment, when you are innovating, very often you even come trying to disrupt that engine, where immediately act as any kind of illness that, you know, pull you away. Don't come and destroy me. I'm a machine running very well. So that's one of the big conflicts that in big organizations you always encounter, how to innovate at the same time you are protecting your revenue stream. How can create this, you can say, parallel works that needs to respect each other and collaborate and give space to each other is sometimes very difficult because even sometimes the same person that is responsible for producing the value is asked to produce something new. So you go like, do I want to kill my machine or my product or my service? It's nonsense. It's perfect. It's, look at that. So it's difficult to create something you need to protect. In the small companies, the situation is a little bit different. Sometimes innovation is the start of the company where they don't have anything to protect. So the field is open for keeping advancing. You don't need to defend or, you know, create that kind of space. The space has been created because of innovation, particularly in the startups. Mm-hmm. Then there is plus and minus with everything, of course. When you are in a big corporation, there is a lot of talent you just can pull in. You know, it's a lot of people that knows the business 
And sometimes you, very often, you need them to create a new business because I have a lot of knowledge of how things work or not work. In a small company, the talent pool is much more reduced, so you are much more depending on external of other kind of influences to be able to innovate. I don't say that's not necessary in the big corporation because it is. Otherwise, they will be reinventing themselves. That doesn't make any sense. But the big corporations come with the big machines sometimes. For good or for bad with big budgets, it's not good to give a lot of money to innovation because it becomes theater and they just lose it. So a little bit of constraint is good. But there is a lot of talent and a lot of, you know, infrastructure you can reutilize. When in a small company, is uh, you need to create something from the back of a napkin, and that's magic. That's when you put innovation on the stream sense of really needed to be creative to be able to create any value because there is no big muscles. There is not the big, you know, frameworks and things you can pick up. Everything comes from the back of a napkin very often. Yeah. But it's fascinating. The beauty and the beast of both of them. Yeah, I agree. I'm often getting the question of like, what is the right setup to build an innovation team inside? It doesn't matter which part of the, like a large corporate or a small organization or smaller organization. What is your opinion on that? Is there one setup or? I think it depends on what you are trying to innovate around. So Mm -hmm. it's not the same to create, you could say, an innovation technology product. Let's say, let's do a robot to do something. So, of course, you're going to need to have a set of skill set around the team that you're going to innovate. It needs to have a degree of engineering and so on and so forth. Or if you are developing an app that is going to create a super revolutionary value, or if you are creating a new sustainable business. So there is an element of the SMEs that depending on the nature of the innovation you need to put on the team. But then there is personalities and you need to allow to be there because people see things differently and that's the beauty of innovation you need to let that to happen so you need to have a couple of rebels that even don't understand because they have been calling to the media and say what are we doing here we don't know anything about robotics you need to have someone that is in love with customers keeping asking you know we don't know if the customer wants it the customer is not going to pay for this so on so forth in a point of time you're going to need to have someone with a financial head otherwise the business model is not going to fly you need to have different different skill sets, but amount of the skill set, I think personality is very important. Mm-hmm. Then you need to have people that have different different ways of approaching things. You cannot just have a, a team of kamikazes doing innovation. You need to have a couple of them like, hmm, what are you doing? What are you running so fast? This is gonna fail. So make sure that you mix personalities, that you mix skill sets, and that you have people that represent different roles. So not everybody is on engineering side or kamikaze side or just marketing side. So mix and blend mm-hmm. and in personality and the skill sets. And most important of everything, give them freedom, making sure that you are not suffocating them with, how is it going? Keep your eyes, give me this, give me that. You cannot spend so much money because it's not offline. Give them freedom, but keep an eye. And making sure that the sponsor is working properly as a sponsor of that innovation. So it's not just left alone in a lab and then they come out one day with long beers and half crazy and everybody forget about them. So keep an eye, an eye on the team. Have a strong sponsorship without suffocating. And making sure that we mix and blend good different characteristics. Then magic is going to happen. There are a lot of discussions 
at least with the clients I've had in the past, is is like, yeah, do we even need a, a separate team which is innovating? Everyone should innovate. What is your opinion on that? A little bit back what we say before. Of course, there is the incremental innovation and there is the disruptive innovation. I do agree that everybody should have a little bit of a spirit of why don't we do this better kind mm. of thinking around it. What if we could cut that process? What if we could do that? So keeping asking yourself the classic what if, because having a spirit of getting things better a little bit every day is what mm. makes things progressive forward. Mm. We don't call that innovation because it's innovating within a performance engine is innovating within a capability, and that's good. Mm. To come with the big disruption or with the thing that is going to be seriously transformative requires a little bit of rigor. It's not just going to happen because someone got some idea. You can be that lucky. But it's not often that someone's in the cafeteria and comes with an idea, boom, you have a new company. It doesn't work in that way. So it requires the rigor that comes with the proper process of innovation. And that rigor requires people coming together, working through the problems, making sure you validate your hypothesis, go out and talk to customers. You need to work on that. And it's not something you can do like one hour here, one hour there. It requires attention and focus to create value. Otherwise, you are just doing theater. And the theater is not going to generate value. And it's just going to be a funny thing. Fine. But it's not going to move your company particularly forward. If we stay in the large corporation setting, what are the biggest mistakes you have seen? Many. <laughs> but if I would say one classic mistake and one thing that is probably a dilemma is how to prioritize resources, budget, and headspace between the day and day of problems in the performance engine and necessity of creating something new. Because hmm. sometimes you don't do that until really, really sense of urgency has happened. If that's the case, sometimes a little bit late because then you are forced. And I don't say the force is not bad. Look, COVID-19 has forced us to a lot of innovations so don't take me wrong. But if you want to be a company that always innovate, the conflict between how you prioritize your time, your portfolio projects, good resources that you want to throw in in one innovation pool, sometimes comes in conflict with, with innovation. Um, 99% of cases, the performance in you win because it's the one yeah. pumping the money. So not having enough space for innovation is one of the biggest problems because the day-to-day -day eat up all the space and the money. And the other is to apply the same kind of expectation, governance, control mechanism that you have in the classic performance engine in the innovation engine, and doesn't work either. So the predictability, the set of measuring KPIs, and even the set of involving and encouraging people is, is different. To apply the same methodology on people and process and innovation doesn't work either. So you really need to be conscious of what hat are you wearing when as a leader of an organization and you are maybe sponsored as well of an innovation attempt, what hat are you wearing on? And don't confuse them because then certain innovation will not succeed. But I think those are the most classic problems yeah. that I have encountered, but many others as well. 
Yeah, green. See them as well. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> That's just how it is. So I would like to go a bit more now into entrepreneurship because you have been leaving the safe harbor of the corporate world and then ventured into building your own business and supporting backwards the large corporation and other companies in with your knowledge and with your team. What was the step for you to say, hey, I will do something on my own? How did that happen? Well, I mean, when you have been spending a lot of years in the same company, sometimes you start to meet your own story, your own history as well. You say, I think I'm the mother of that problem, <laughs> but maybe I'm the, you know, the solving problem of that one five years ago. Then it's time to move on. I mean, when you have been in a company for a lot of years and you have done a lot for a company, and then you have been acquiring a lot of knowledge as well, particularly working in big corporations, you get a lot of sense of different parts of the business and you acquire in your backpack tools and, and learnings and experience that could be valuable for more than just one company. And that was at least my appreciation. I found that I have a lot to give and I understood that a lot of different companies could need my knowledge, not just one of them. I didn't need it, the, the security that the big corporations give you. Um, I mean, an age that can have the privilege to say, I don't need to take care of my kids going to school and so on and so forth. So I, I felt it was time for me to give back to several companies and at the same time to learn more. Because mm -hmm. at the end, what you can learn within the walls of your company is, is your value proposition and your business model. That's it. And then working with different industries is super rewarding. Because you yourself develop much more faster and learn new things and meet new people and expand your network beyond your internal, you know, mail list of the company, where it's fascinating. I think I have learned and meet more people in this year, despite lockdown, that I have done in many years in IKEA. What brings me new insights, I think I learned a lot in every interaction with people. And I hope I can contribute as well. I have contributed to give a little bit of my insights to other people that in the term can use it. So it's much more rewarding in that, in that sense. Yeah, I can just say 100%. Like for me, the learning curve, I mean, I have learned like you being long-term in large corporations as well. I have learned so much, but now taking this into action where it's basically you're in a smaller setting and you can do, you can change things like, yeah, I will do something. I will sell something different tomorrow. You can just decide it in a small setting and then you do it and then you try it out and then you prototype. And that brings you, like you said, it's like to so many people and so many faces. And it's as well what was quite interesting for me is like doing that jump into my own business. The first half year or even almost a year, people didn't notice that I'm not in the corporate anymore. So they'd still send me like LinkedIn requests and hey, can you uh -huh. can you connect me here? Can you do this? Can you do that? But then it's really the acceleration of the learning is what I, I still enjoy every day, where it's like learning with the customers, with the clients on a day-to-day -day basis and really figuring out what works, what doesn't work and being close to, to everything. It's like being the cleaner and the CEO at the same time. That's what I love most in the moment. <laughs> Exactly. You need to buy coffee as well. <laughs> exactly. There's no one coming with coffee. <laughs> oh, I'm with fruit. <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. I agree. It's the, the learning curve and the, and the possibilities and opportunities is just super rewarding. 
So if you would talk to someone else who is still thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I should do the jump into my own business. I have a lot of knowledge, but I'm not sure. It's What would you tell to that person? Well, first of all, I will tell them, trust yourself. I mean, sometimes we don't dare to give to jump because we are comfortable in the environment of the corporate. And it's like, it protects you. You're a part of the system and you identify yourself with the system. So you start to wondering what happened when I don't have all my colleagues and the frameworks and everything else. Trust yourself. And then you, particularly you have been in corporates and learned a lot of things. Your knowledge is required and needed. So have the courage to understand and to trust your own instinct and your own knowledge. It's okay. You don't need the whole corporate to define you. You are a person as yourself. Then every person is in a different situation. I mean, if you are not very, you know, worried about financials and what happens with my salary next month, because let's face it, entrepreneur, you are not sure that the money exactly is going to come every month and so on and so forth. And the experience is much more rewarding when you are an entrepreneur and you are in a corporate, if you are not too depending on the economical security of your salary. Well, at the end of the day, it's as well an illusion because companies come and goes. They put people on, on fire, so on and so forth. And nothing is forever. And just this illusion that because you're in a corporate, you have the salary guaranteed for the rest of your life is not true. It happens to our parents many years ago when they got the gold watch. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. 50 years in the company. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to die if I need to be 50 years in a company. And today the world is not like that. And on the other hand, if you don't like it, you can always go back to corporates. So it's not that the door is closed forever. The experience and the learnings, they are yours. Although I can take those away. Yeah. And I also like a little bit the pressure part. It's like being financially independent. And it's basically on me and my small team, which is like getting my income and getting my salary of the future. It's like when you get closer to the wall because you haven't had a, like a paying client for a couple of weeks, then it's like, okay, how do I do that now? What's happening? How do I do? So it helps you to get as well, like using different muscles you never use in a corporate because your salary, if you're in a big corporate, then your salary is fairly yeah. safe yeah. for the next two, three, four months. You're pretty sure to have a salary. Yeah. But in a small business, like maybe you don't have a customer even four months. Yeah. Or a large customer is not paying for four months, which happens as well. And then you need to get like, yeah, how do I do that now? Exactly. It keeps you in your toes. Yes. If you're alert and awake. Yeah. It's good for your brain. Yeah, I love it too. So if you use this way of thinking, when you work with startups, because you're mentoring startups as well, how do you work with them with your knowledge from a large corporation setting in digital and innovation? How does that work? My very good question. Because you come with all these, you know, strategies and the frameworks and the budgets. And then you are like, okay, I'm talking to the CEO. By the way, she has this marketing strategy. She's a financial manager. And she is actually the customer support. (laughs) She's doing everything. It's like, well, God bless her. Amazing. You need to reshuffle a little bit before you start to talk to them. Because you cannot come with big batteries and, you know, pounds on tanks. You need to reshape. What I try to give to the coaching, to my coaching, to the startup, what I try to give them is the understanding of what the corporate will do with your product, what your client will do with your product. How do they make decisions? 
how do an investor will make decisions upon your product? What are they looking for? What makes a good business case and a not so good business case? Mm. So we're giving them is the, you can say, the corporate understanding of what a good business looks like, even in the, in the smallest case, to boosting them up to be prepared for having more elements that just we love the product and it's an amazing feature. And you know, this kind of thing that comes from a startup is like, well, you the product is amazing. <laughs> How are we going to make money? Yeah. <laughs> like, try to give them the reality check that at the end of the day, the people who want to put money in your business needs to see a solid business case. And then sometimes it's even helping them how to grow your business. So mm. think two steps ahead, not just make the product solid and have a, a good, you can say MVP or whatever is the state of the startup. Is how is your grow agenda? How are you going to grow your business? And it goes in many different directions. Everything from you need to start to think about your employees. What kind of skill sets do you have? You cannot keep in living on students doing the apprenticeship. It's not going to fly. I'm starting to understand what will be the core capabilities you need to build you, your core forces around. So giving them a little bit of view into the future, not very far away, and a little bit of solidity in the business case and the grow agenda. Yeah. And let them to contagious you with their enthusiasm and, and the energy that they have because it's amazing. Every meeting is like, wow, I wish I had that you know, <laughs> kind of spirit and believing them energy that they put on the project because it's amazing to see them. So then there's always a question I'm asking. When you're an entrepreneur, there's often like people don't tell what didn't work out for them. So what is the story from your perspective, which you are willing to tell us? Like what didn't work out for you in the whole entrepreneurship perspective? What was the failure you're willing to share? In the entrepreneurship perspective, I'm so new and I have not been failing yet. That's a very good question. I think one of the things I'm starting to understand that I need to be a little more strong on when it comes to entrepreneurship, a little bit what you were mentioning before. So how do I keep myself in my toes all the time? Mm -hmm. So don't get relaxed just because you have one customer, big one maybe, that is occupying a lot of your time. Always have an eye on the diversification of your agenda. So don't put all the baskets in one egg. It doesn't matter how wonderful your customer is. It doesn't matter how enthusiastic you're going to be about the assignment. You need to have a diversification portfolio if you're an entrepreneur, otherwise it's too risky. And that's one of the things I'm trying to keep in remember, me, Mercedes, diversification, to work with that. Before yeah. it becomes a huge failure. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is like, you know, when you come from corporates, you have your budgets, your team and everything around. It's very important from the beginning to find a network. So collaborate with people, understand what can you give to the network. That's important. So don't come just asking for, come in, inviting yourself to the network and offering something, but get a network okay. because it could be a little bit lonely too. We are all humans. At least I work in that way. I love bounce ideas and have uh, like-minded or not like-minded at all people around me that can you know, challenge and provocate and so on and so forth. So find your network, making sure that you are not completely isolated, you just and your customers, peers around you. Yeah, I like this way of thinking of networking. 
as well, because for me, it's like, I don't know if you know the saying, you're the average of the five people you spend most time with. Mm. And that's when you think back in childhood with kids, you see that like, if you put a child into a certain neighborhood, they're all the same. If you put them into another neighborhood, they get different. So yeah. that's the same with entrepreneurs. That's why I'm always looking there. It's like, who are the others who are willing to chip in, who are willing to do something exciting? And then how can we collaborate? What can we do together? That's basically what we're doing as well. It's like, how can we help each other as entrepreneurs with our businesses and look into just exchanging what's going on because we just learn from each other and all get better. Yeah. I think that's that's very, very important. And that's, if you think back towards corporate, that's not really happening. Of course, you have a network inside the organization and maybe with a couple of other organizations, but not to that extent that you're sharing a lot of things and you're kind of helping each other businesses. Mm. No, because I think the priority becomes in delivery, which is in your agenda more than anything else. So yeah. I'm very, and, and I, to be honest, I think that's, in some corporates, you can see that they're trying to, to reach out to have a much more collaborative kind of way of working because mm. it's super important and have what they call this uh, kind of shared relationship and shared leadership, which is super important. But at the end of the day, you put your focus on what you are measuring. Very seldom you measure in relationship, you are measuring more in, in hardcore delivery KPIs. So agree, agree. In the corporate, you lose sight of that. And outside, it becomes a necessity. You need to become an asset to your network to be able to use that as well as an asset. Yeah. And that's what I always tell when I work with startups or young founders, like focus on giving, not on taking. Yeah. If you focus every day on how you get money, which I get, you need to get money for your business and need to grow your business. But if you only focus on like taking how you can get something, mm -hmm. it will never fly. Yeah. So it's, I always say, focus on giving, providing value to others, and then the money will come. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It will happen. It's yeah. like seeding, you know, put a lot of seeds, and then it comes in water. It's a whoa, look, that's a plant. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I see for myself as well as like patience. Is I'm so bad in patience. Like I want to have things like tomorrow, today. Hey, I did this. Why is it not happening? So how do you work with that? Well, that's uh, to be honest, that's one of my weaknesses is the patient as well. So it's like a tip kind to remember every day from this will not get built in one day. We use yeah. sustain as Spanish. So be patient. I'm getting better. I think is uh, the white hair is helping me to get better on that one. <laughs> yeah, I have oh. no hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no hair. Maybe that's the other, the other formula for patience. But trying to remain calm. A little bit, as I say before, trust yourself. Trust yourself and things will happen. And then give it a little bit of time because sometimes time is the best wisdom. You know, sometimes you are imagining things, trying to force things, and then two days later, all the pieces fall in, in a play. You know, it's like, aha, now I get it. If yeah. you force it, you will have not seen those other pieces that come two days later. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So, trying to be better, trying to remind myself is that was the worst thing that can happen. And give it a little bit of time. <laughs> so it's not the end of the world. I think this year with COVID and everything that we have been going through has put some perspective on things as well. Mm -hmm. Going a little bit back to what is really, really important or the things that are worth to wait for and the things that are not worth it to wait for, just keep them away because then probably they are not important at all either. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I don't know if I answered your question, but I'm trying to I'm keeping training on that one. I hope very good. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. So we're slowly getting to an end. If you could work on an interesting project, it's like a dream project of yours that will be exposed to everyone in the whole world. Like every human being around the whole world will be somehow exposed to that project. What project would it be? Wow. <laughs> it's a small question. Yeah, it's like a massive transport transformation purpose. I'm fascinated around well-being and health. If I could participate in a project where, you know, proactive health will be the outcome somehow, I don't know, hopefully with a piece of technology, because I love technology, as I say in the beginning, but if we could develop things that can help people to stay more in shape, more healthy, and live a better life, we could participate in that project that for real delivered that value to people that will be the top of the top of the top of the wish list of what I can do. I'm fascinated about it. So something as meaningful as creating better health condition for people through a really, really innovative service, product, whatever it could be. Mm, cool. We'd love to see that happening. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Where will you be in a year from now? Oh, cool. I hope I will be, looking back on the year, I hope I will be able to have the great opportunity to help at least three to five big customers to really work better with innovation and see the satisfaction and see them moving forward so that I can create an impact for them and help them in, in the journey. Um, and keeping, you know, meeting interesting people. I hope my network gets doubled one year from now and see all these people at that time creating more waves of good vibes of um, sharing innovation and happy people around the world. So not much. It's one year, at least five customers really making a big impact for them and a double network. That's cool. sense. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, we know each other a couple of years now and you're always on top of what's going on with innovation, with digital. How do you keep yourself up to date? What are the different sources? Oh, a lot of them. But uh, there's a couple of websites at least two to three times a week I go and look into that. And I have subscriptions for some of the news as well. One of them being the Singularity University. Mm -hmm. I think they are very professional in the way they work with innovation. And they are into the big things in the world. They are not into the small, yeah, yeah. you know, they are into the big problems of the world. I love to follow them and keep them, keeping being inspired by what you are doing. Then there is uh, McKinsey. I think they produce a lot of very good reports as well. I keep reading them, um, like Harvard and Boston. More or less every day there is at least one hour of my day I go through material. I'm making sure I'm keeping, you know, absorbing, like linking information. Because if I don't go and fetch it, it's not going to hit me in the face. So it needs to be part of, of your daily way of working. Because I only can be successful if I have something interesting to share to people. So it becomes, I need to filter in the bucket to be able to, to give mm. to my customers. It becomes a purpose. And, and the way my company works, share what I know. And if better I know, more I can share. That's, it. <laughs> That's good. So where can people find you? How can people reach out to you? 
Oh, they can find me, of course, in LinkedIn. Um, I have a particular name, so it's easy. I don't think there is so many Mercedes Vidal Lobato out in LinkedIn. But I just started a company called Dividal, Dividal.com. And the website's not right. It's not go there. I'm still under construction, so it's a lot to do. That you can find me in LinkedIn or in Dividal.com. So my information is there. And you can find me as well with Jens in the yes. in his website from yes. today. Super cool. <laughs> from today, it's quite funny that it wasn't planned at all that we will do a recording today and that we do an announcement as well, yeah. <laughs> which I will not go more into details in this podcast. But it's quite interesting that mm-hmm. it somehow magically happened that it's on the same day without Amazing. planning. But before we finish, maybe just a short one on Dividal. How did you get to that name? What does it mean? Vidal, I get. But what is Dividal? What does it mean? What does it stand for? Well, I don't want it to have a very long name that people will not remember. And I didn't want it to call my company my name either because actually I'm co-founding my company with my son, which is a, a huge privilege and, and, and you know, a, a vision and, and an illusion that I had to do something together with him. We are very close in the hobbies and way of thinking and so on. So that was discarded. They didn't want to call Mercedes Vidal Consulting, blah, blah, blah. So the D came from digital because I think I'm a digital native before the word was invented. Yeah. Well, I can claim that title and being a digital and all I want to do is around digital business and innovation. I, we thought together that digital was quite musical, digital, <laughs> short enough for people to remember. And for us, it has a meaning. So that's the origin of the world. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much for being on the podcast today, Mercedes. I hope we can do one day a second version of that where we dive deeper into what Dividal established and how you reached your five clients for this year and so on. So it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Jens, for having me. Pleasure and time mine. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, this is Jens again. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you have listened to, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episodes with your friends and people you think might like it too. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, please follow me on social media or look me up at jensheitland.com. Thank you very much and see you in the next episode.